0: My name is Father Mike Delaney and I'm the parish priest of the Kingston Channel Catholic Parish in the Archdiocese of Hobart. This is my homily for the 17th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Welcome to week one of a new message series, Preparing for the Kingdom. Over the past four weeks we saw Jesus preparing his disciples, preparing us for the work of mission. As we move into this new series, we will hear how Jesus takes the attitude of Mary in the Gospel from last week, the story of her sitting at his feet, and translates that into the attitude that all of us need to take if we are to truly be his disciples. Spoiler alert! Some of the challenges will be interesting and as we move through the series, well, well, you just have to wait. In the Old Testament, as the people settled, their cities became as little kingdoms, and the leading family of the city became the king. If it was a good family with a good leader, then the city and the people prospered. If the, law, if the king followed the law of God, then they would be blessed. Great leaders like Abraham, David, Solomon and others led their people with integrity, and despite their faults and failings, the people grew and prospered. However, there were other leaders who didn't follow the way of the Lord. And even though they seemed to prosper, ultimately their cities were destroyed. And because of that, the people suffered. Today's reading from the book of Genesis tells us the story of two cities who, because of their sinfulness, have fallen from grace. Sodom and Gomorrah, believed to have been situated at the southern end of the Sea of the Dead Sea, were cities of the plains destroyed by fire in chapter 19 of the book of Genesis. Today, though, we are privileged to the conversation between God and Abraham, as Abraham pleads to God for mercy on these cities. This is how Abraham approaches God in his pleading. Are you really going to destroy the just man with the sinner? Perhaps there are 50 just men in the town. Will you overwhelm them? Will you not spare the place for fifty just men in it? Stop and think of what is happening here. Abraham, in the reading last weekend from just a few verses earlier in chapter 18, stood off under a tree while his visitors ate. But today he's speaking boldly to God, begging that the city of Sodom be saved because of fifty righteous men. Would we we be that bold in bringing our prayerful needs before God? Or are these the prayers of a man who has no other option because he knows the will of God and, and understands that it will only be by asking God for mercy that what he has in store for the people might be changed? Whatever Abraham's motive, this is what God replies. If at Sodom I find fifty just men in the town, I will spare the whole place because of them. But Abraham is not yet finished. Even as he thanks the Lord for being generous in his willingness to spare Sodom if fifty just men, he asks for even more. Eventually he even goes so far as to ask, I trust my Lord will not be angry if I speak once more. Perhaps there will be only ten. I will not destroy it, he replied, for the sake of ten. Unfortunately, Abraham was unable to find ten just men, and the city, as mentioned earlier, is destroyed, and only his nephew Lot and his two daughters survive the destruction. Yet, God had shown that he was willing to be generous in his mercy if the people would change their hearts and would be turning back to God. If we go back to the beginning of Jesus' missionary activity in Luke's Gospel, we know how he was tempted in the desert, and how at each of the temptations, his response was a simple quotation from the Scriptures. Listen again to what he said. You must love the Lord your God and serve him alone. And again, you must not put the Lord your God to the test. Obviously our focus needs to be on God, but this can and will only happen if we actually have a relationship with God that is more than just us having heard about him. We know that scammers and hackers rely on people being taken in by something that looks good or sounds okay, and almost everyone can be caught out by them. But when we know that the only way to avoid them is to be on the lookout for the thing that doesn't quite look right. In other words, we need to pay attention to what is happening around us. As I mentioned earlier, the title of this series is Preparing for the Kingdom. We know that to prepare for anything, we have to be need to know what needs to be done. And sometimes, if the event is beyond our experience, we need to ask for help and assistance from an expert. Today, in our Gospel passage, the disciples recognize that they need help when it comes to prayer. The disciples of John the Baptist have been observed praying with John, and so now Jesus' disciples would like to be able to pray as well. So Jesus gives them the prayer which we call the Lord's Prayer albeit a slightly different version to the one with which we are most familiar. In the Luke's Gospel, Jesus says, Say this when you pray, Father, may your name be held holy, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive each one who is in debt to us, and do not put us to the test. These are simple but profound words that invite us into a new relationship with God. For when we pray for the coming of God's kingdom we are really praying a prayer of self-offering. God does not promise to rain down bread from heaven but to empower us to share and to encourage others to do the same. In this vision like Abraham, we are not relating to a faraway God who must be conjoled into caring or acting. We are communicating with the God who is as near as we are to ourselves, the God whose grace empowers us with the strength and creativity to collaborate with the divine plan. So I wonder, what is behind this prayer? How might we think of Jesus' theology of prayer as expressed in this passage from Luke? First we can see that the Lord's Prayer might be summarised by any of its phrases and most particularly by the one Luke would say for Jesus' prayer in the garden Thy will be done When we pray like this, we make ourselves totally available to God's grace working in and through us When we understand prayer as a union of our will with God's we are praying, as our Eucharistic prayer says through Christ, with Christ, and in Christ, in the union of the Holy Spirit. When we pray with, and in, and through Christ, we come to know God's presence with, and amongst us, in everything. God may not keep us from all harm, but because God's love is expressed in the Spirit and through others, we will never face harm alone. When we allow Christ to teach us to pray, We stop asking God to do our bidding and join Christ in doing everything we can for the coming of God's kingdom.